Monkey enjoying a cup of tea. As they often do. As they often do. As they often do. My my promise to you today, Graham, is I will attempt to speak slowly, mm-hmm. and your promise is you will attempt not to bang not to the hit table. the table as I just did. <laughs> Sometimes I get really excited. I want to bang the table and make my point. And we'll attempt uh, not to make this annoying laughing noise that we always seem to do. Oh like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Of course, that's part of our monkey charm. Before I forget, we should acknowledge. Our sponsor slash affiliates. Mm-hmm. So uh, our affiliate is uh, Checked, C-H-E-K-D, which mm-hmm. is a company out of New York that does in-home blood testing. And to check them out, to check them out, right. go to okay. sciencemonkey.ca slash C-H-E-K-D. And if you buy something from them, we get a piece of that. So buy something from mm-hmm. them. And, and then you take the blood... In in the home and send it to them. No, I think they what, come. What does to in home mean? They actually come there. Because I was going to say, how do I take my own blood? So they actually send someone to take it for. Them. Yes, uh, I assume using a syringe and yeah. you're not a sharp. proper equipment. Yeah, yes. there is. Uh, as well, if you want to buy our books, mm. go to sciencemonkey.ca/slash/amazon because we write really well. Mm. I feel so dirty now from promoting ourselves. Yes. <laughs> but if we don't, who's going to, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So uh, I'm here with Dr. Graham Sanders. Oh, and I'm here with Dr. Ray Wadianandan. And a question popped into my head. Oh, yes. Um, what's the difference between a sponsor and an affiliate? Okay, so um, do you want to know? Well, I'm, I'm, it come, I will come up. I, I mean, it popped into my head when you said it. I was like, okay, okay what does well, that mean? Well, a sponsor... Uh, Gives you money up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have that. Okay. We have uh, an affiliate who says if we drive traffic to them, mm. they'll give us a piece of that. Action. Got it. Okay, thanks. Now, now I feel dirty. <laughs> We're explaining the ins and outs. We're of... being completely transparent, right? Yeah. All right. It's a racist joke. What's on the table today? Oh, we're going to do. We're going to go back to our roots today. Okay. We're going to go back to the rigorous or ridiculous. We have roots. We have roots. We're such a long-lasting institution. Fourteen episodes, Four, man. Yeah. This is what three in the four podcast months? world. That's like a decade. That's forever. <laughs> We're a hit. I think we're technically a hit. We got enough of listeners, at least four or five per oh, episode. Okay. And we're a global entity. We have listeners in Kazakhstan there and Jamaica mm-hmm. and all across North America and bits of Europe. And mm-hmm. I think we have the occasional African listener, definitely right. India. Uh-huh. So um, we're a global concern. All right. And uh, I say so proudly, mm-hmm. even though no, I can't prove it and no <laughs> one can show me the data to prove otherwise. Shout out to Kazakhstan. Woo-hoo. So um, back to our roots. Uh, when we first started this podcast, one of the things we envisioned was we would tackle studies that the media had run with that probably have some flaws to them that mm-hmm. haven't been well explored. Right. And, and we dubbed that that segment rigorous or ridiculous. Right. And I think we kind of got a little uh, distracted along the way talking mm-hmm. about random facts. Random facts, yeah. <laughs> So today, let's go back to those roots. And I sent Graham a paper this morning, actually. You did. And it's called Association of All-Cause Mortality with Overweight and Obesity Using Standard Body Mass Index Categories Mm -hmm. from uh, 2013. It Mm -hmm. was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, which is one of the best journals in the world. Yeah, I've heard of JAMA. This study actually took the world by storm. It was cited in media quite often. Uh, Talk shows were talking about it. Every radio station was on about it. Because it found that slightly overweight people are likely more healthy than normal weight people. 
I mean, technically what this said was slightly overweight people have lower all-cause mortality than normal weight and underweight people. Right. So it's not actually about health, it's about mortality. Exactly. Okay. Which is, you know, what is health? Yeah. Population sciences, we define health as not being dead. But, you know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> strange that mortality is always held out as the proxy for health. That's right. Because... I would rather live to be 70 and healthy than live to be 90 in my last 20 years. I'm sickly and unable to communicate. That's a good point. Wear a diaper. There's actually uh, measurements of longevity that, that attempt to take in consideration those, those aspects. So we often use um, life expectancy as a proxy measurement of a population's mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. But there are some nuances to that modification. Sometimes we talk about healthy life expectancy right. or disability-free life expectancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Japan's life expectancy is like, I think, 80, so 80-something compared right. to birth. If you only count those years in full health or, mm-hmm. mo- or accommodate for that, then it comes down to like 72 or something. Right, right. Right, so uh, statistically, it's problematic, and that's and where we spend a ton of healthcare dollars, right? Or in yeah. those last five years, because a long years. life is not necessarily a healthy life, yeah. or it's not an economically productive right. life, right. which is really what we care more about population <laughs> sciences, sadly. Yeah, you, it's easy to sound very cold when you're talking about populations, and then when I'm 75, I could <laughs> yeah. be like, "Damn it, give me everything." But as an aside, the way that we um, we t- try to operationalize that is as a committee is struck. To assign a, a committee, a, a committee, a committee oh. <laughs> struck, lined up and struck individually, <laughs> bad committee, and Three they, style. they uh, determine a number from zero to one to weight a certain disability. Mm. Like if I'm blind for one year, that's the equivalent of. 0.5 years of perfect health. Right. These are all the actuarial scientists. It's very yeah. qualitative. Yeah. Right. And usually that approach is used to determine whether or not to do a surgical intervention or right. some kind of intervention. Right. But at a population level, we apply that approach to determine um, the amount of health the population has in relatively good health. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Let's bring, get back to this study. Okay. So um, you want to describe the paper for you? Yeah, I went and read the abstract. I didn't actually read any of the media reports. Okay, good. So I just read the abstract itself, which is quite it's a longer abstract. It went through all the data extraction results and data sources, blah, blah, blah. That's good tea, by the way. Mm, it is, yeah. Oh, we're drinking Ceylon tea right now. Yeah, oh, it's, that's it's good stuff. Black tea, loose leaf. It's what the monkeys drink. There is a tea, a Chinese tea called monkey pick tea uh, because it grows so high up in the mountains that it's difficult for human beings to reach. It's quite treacherous. So they've trained monkeys to go up and pick the tea and bring it back down. Should it be monkey-picked tea? Yeah, monkey-picked tea, monkey-picked tea. I guess the extra mm. syllable makes it hard to say. Anyway. Hoba in, in Chinese. So I had a few questions. First, I have questions about the, the title, but my central question is, where is that result that slightly overweight people live a little bit longer. If you look at the results in the abstract, they give you these numbers, mm-hmm. 0.94, 0.95, 0.1.18. So is one normal weight people, they're saying their mortality is one? These are relative risks. So relative risk is the um, the risk of be, of dying with mm-hmm. one weight mm-hmm. relative to the risk of dying with the other weight. You divide right. the two risks. Right. Right? So if the number is one, there's no difference. Okay. If the number is greater than one, then there is greater risk at the higher weight. So if the number is less than one, there's less risk at the higher right. weight. So, but they're taking what they call normal weight and then d- dividing these other ones. So the only one that's less than one is um, slightly overweight people, right? That's at 0.94. That's right. So okay. they say slightly overweight people are, are less likely... To die, and look at the uh, the CI stands for confidence interval. That tells mm-hmm. us 
um, the statistical significance of mm-hmm. the analysis. Mm-hmm. So as long as the confidence interval does not include the number one, mm-hmm. then it's statistically significant. So on that one, let me see, it's a 0.99 you said? The summary HRs were 0.94 and the confidence interval is 0.91 to 0.96. That doesn't include one. That means that's a real effect they've measured. Okay. It's a bit of a, a boring statistics analysis. For okay, I just, just want to see how big this result is that they're talking about. Right. It's, so not, it's, it's not huge. So it's 0.94 for overweight. And then if you read along in that sentence, it says 0.95 for grade one obesity. So it seems like there are two grades of obesity that they're talking about. Or is it just... Sure, but the 0.95, you'll notice the confidence interval includes one. It's uh, 0.8 to 1.01. Oh, okay. So we would say that's not statistically that's relevant. That's not relevant. Okay, I got it. Okay, okay. so that was what's confusing me. Um, so slightly overweight people live longer. First of all, the title of the study is association, right? So that's different than causation. That's right. Is it different than correlation or association correlation? Correlation is a type of association. Okay. So they're, they're not claiming any causal links. Right. They're just pointing at an association. All-cause mortality... Does that include getting hit by cars and Interesting. whatever? Yeah, it does, actually. Yeah, okay. Because so, that would make more sense to me if it was mortality based on yeah, you think health issues. Those who are less obese would be more able to dodge the car. <laughs> That's right. Maybe the car would bounce off. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to get hit now. But in other words... <laughs> We're not fat shaming people. <laughs> and we can use the word fat, can't we? Or should we stick to the word obese? Uh, let's we'll stick to obese. Obese, Let's not get hit now. All right. <laughs> I thought it was one of those words that's kind of being reclaimed well, there is to, a, to a certain extent, but it's not my place off. to use They're it. They're cut off for overweight and obese. Right. Okay. Based on BMI. And I noticed they call it obese one, obese two. They don't call it morbidly obese. And right. they used to, used to use those terms, right? Yeah. So that's improvement. I, I, I don't know if those are clinical distinctions, mm-hmm. but it makes sense that they would. So all-cause all mortality, that seems a little bit muddy to me because you could die for all sorts of different reasons, right? So with overweight and obesity using standard body mass index categories. Okay. This is where it really bothers me, standard body mass index categories. BMI is just calculated by taking your weight, dividing it by your height squared or something. That's right. right? I would say that actually, if I'm healthier than the average person, I might have more muscle mass than the average person, and I might weigh more than the average person. Isn't my BMI going to be higher if I have more muscle? That's probably one of the biggest problems with this study, is anytime we rely on BMI, it's an inappropriate measurement of mm-hmm. actual adiposity. Right. In fact, one could argue that waist circumference is a more convenient yeah. and accurate yeah. sample. I have a, a, a quote here from another study. It suggests, a 10% larger waist circumference corresponds to almost a 1.5 times higher mortality mm-hmm. over the entire range of mm-hmm. waist circumference. And that's a much better measurement of adiposity right. than BMI would have. Right? Yeah. And, and so BMI doesn't distinguish between qualities of adiposity. Right. People have different fat levels. They have different fat distributions. Yeah, I've heard if you're pear-shaped, it's healthier than if you're apple-shaped right. or something like that. So that's called like sarcopenic obesity is, is what is unfavorable. Or we have uh, muscle mass. So mm. I'm technically overweight mm. and I'm, I'm, I'm a thin guy because right? Right. I've got muscle mass. Right. Yeah. I'm trying not to be distracted by your, by, your rippling right, muscles rippling across the, yeah. the table. Put no, no. <laughs> keep it on <laughs> um so that's that seems to be a problem for me because if it's just slight if it's just the the first category after what they're calling normal right which is what they call overweight that is going to include a lot of people that have some extra muscle mass or have a little bit of extra weight but that doesn't preclude them from being healthy sure. right so and then the third thing that bothers me is is there a correlation necessarily between obesity within a certain range and overall health? I can understand obesity beyond a certain range is, is going to be unhealthy for obvious reasons. 
But if you're slightly overweight, you can still be much healthier than someone who's underweight. So what you're suggesting or, that it, within that range, mm-hmm. the study may be valid. Yeah, uh, within the, if you if you took a range of people who are the BMI is high, not because of added muscle mass, but because of added fat, mm-hmm. uh, and then you looked at mortality based on health issues rather than all cause mortality, then I'd be a bit more convinced. Okay. Uh, those are those are rational observations. Yeah. Let's go a little deeper though okay. and look at the actual study design. Okay. Did you did you notice what this is? Uh, it's a meta study, so they right. went and got a bunch of articles online and then they combed through uh, and they they said they actually got rid of about ninety eight percent of them, right? So mm-hmm. they ended up with ninety seven studies after looking at over seven thousand studies. Okay. Which is, you know, 97 is a lot. Mm, and I think yeah. that, that two po- it covers two, almost 3 million, 2.88 million, million individuals, yeah. Yeah, 270,000 deaths. So with these meta studies, the critical component often is the inclusion and exclusion criteria. Mm-hmm. I didn't dig down that deeply in that. So okay. I, let me, let me, so you're trusting the person doing the meta study that they're actually picking the best studies to go. Right. I mean, this is a little bit like the economic meltdown with these mortgage-backed securities, right, where they would slice up all of these these uh, mortgages and package them as a security and then sell that to people and saying, oh, these are mortgage-backed, but some of the mortgages were awful, as we found out. Um, so you're trusting that whatever's going into the meta-study is our, our quality studies. So if you read the methodology closely, I'm trying to find exactly where it said this, uh, it doesn't, It they excluded studies that looked at individuals with specific health conditions. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems rational on its surface, mm-hmm. that maybe you don't want all the cancer patients over here right. because those are you know enriched a certain way, or all the diabetes patients. On the other hand, those are the ones who are going to contribute mm-hmm. to the mortality rates. Right, because it's really not all-cause mortality if you're taking That's out right. those things. Yeah. yeah, and also, those ones might actually be the best studies. Oh. They actually might be the best design studies. So, in fact, um, this paper created so much kerfuffle and concern in the nutrition industry or sector or research area that Harvard convened a special panel Mm -hmm. led by uh, uh, Julian Frank, who, uh, and they discuss all the methodological flaws. And one of the things they, they landed on was the selection process might not be the most appropriate. The samples that uh, this researcher, Flagel is her name, used included samples of people who were chronically ill, Mm -hmm. current smokers and elderly. Right. So those are associated with weight loss and increased mortality. Right. Okay. So suddenly you're biasing towards individuals who are probably wasting and also dying. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're heavily weighting those who are underweight and associating that ah. underweightedness with oh, mortality. Okay. So they didn't separate out underweight. Well, it's all together. Yeah. Right. And they separate them statistically. But mm. but in your sample now. Because didn't they say that underweight people also died earlier? Yeah. So they're saying that yeah. underweight is not as good as slightly overweight. Right, right. right. So they've established this gradient between mm-hmm. where slightly overweight is best, normal weight mm-hmm. is worse, and underweight is even Maybe the there's a problem with our BMIs cutoffs. Where do they get the cutoffs That's for that? a very good point as well. Mm-hmm. So they, they seem rather arbitrary. But the biggest issues here, at least in my mind, are the selection bias. Mm-hmm. You're selecting certain kinds of studies. Uh, and and also uh, confounding. Remember we talked about confounding? Right, yes. Um I do remember talking about it, but tell me how it applies here. So a confounder is a factor that either creates or masks mm. an association between a causal factor and another factor. Right. The example I so there's I, something that's being left out of the picture. Which or is something in the picture that hasn't 
been accounted for. Uh, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been, yeah. So the classic, not left out, but not represented. Or not accounted yeah, for. Not, not accounted for. Yeah. So the classic confounders tend to be age, sex, and smoking, and SES. Right. So in this case, it's smoking. Mm. Smoking is a big one. Right. So unless you are going to account for the extent to which people smoke, how long they've been smoking, mm. what their dosage is, mm. then you're always going to have these individuals who have a high, a high mortality rates because they're smokers and also this tendency towards having low birth weight, right. not birth weight, having low body right. body mass. That's and has that been demonstrated that smokers generally have lower body mass? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Seems rational. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> common wisdom that people wisdom. put on weight when they stop smoking, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> so they need to account for conditions in which uh, diseases lead to both weight loss and high mortality. Mm-hmm. Some people call that reverse causality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, also, all-cause mortality is inappropriate because you've got these wasting diseases that are conflated with cardiovascular right. diseases and disabilities right. yeah. and things like yeah. that. It's funny because the the author doubles down mm-hmm. on her findings. Okay. She says that she stands by her findings because they have been peer-reviewed by the CDC and the NIH and other mm-hmm. uh, uh, scientists. But as we know from this show, is mm-hmm. peer-reviewed doesn't mean as much as right. used to. Well, I mean, the findings themselves could be well-supported by the data and everything, but right. if there's a flaw in the actual where you get the data from or what the BMI means, then you can be as rigorous as you want and yeah. it'll come up with something that's not quite... What's uh, the word we learned? Is it valid? Valid, valid it's yeah. Not valid, right. not valid, yeah. Exactly. So, is the study internally valid? Possibly, mm-hmm. by the by, you know, the extent um, to which they've defined their own parameters, it is valid. Right. It is not generalizable, so it's not so externally. So, if valid. we we're going to speculate about confounding factors, why would people with uh, slightly higher BMIs be healthier? Is there something else they're doing? They're not. Maybe is there something about body types? Well, if it's a confounding factor we're talking about, then smoking is is confounding it in the other direction. Other direction. So right. if if you're biasing your sample towards having, so if you took out smokers from the study, you right. might take away this effect. Is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. Right. In fact, some critics have said the only way to do the study appropriately is to have only people who have never smoked. Right. So they've included people who are used to smoke mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. things like that. So the only way to control risk entirely is zero smokers yeah. and zero drug users, and, right. and maybe separate out any other factors that may be you know. Uh, intermediaries towards mortality yeah i just think the bmi is a kind of a silly measure it is, uh, it is. for something like this but because if you just it's very crude to just multi- divide your weight by your height right because people are all sorts of different shapes yeah and then the assumption that somehow it's surprising that people with higher bmis could be healthy it doesn't seem silly to me as well i mean you can be perfectly healthy and have a little bit of fat on you. Sure. It's not, it's not it all comes down to the comparison group. If you're mm-hmm. comparing yourself to tragically ill anorexic, anorexic right. individuals, mm-hmm. of course, you're going to appear to be quite healthy. But the control group has to be normal weight people who aren't um, disadvantaged by smoking right. or other predispositions. Okay, so it's not a ridiculous study, and it's perhaps even rigorous on its own terms, but its own terms have problems. They're not. Yeah, that's that's a fair analysis. Yeah. Um, I'd argue that it's not as rig- rigorous as it, it could or should could, be, okay. given that it's in JAMA and right. given that they've made these fairly um, robust, robust is the right word, fairly uh, stringent recommendations and findings at the end. Right. It's the selection bias that concerns me. Mm-hmm. The fact that you've excluded these high-quality studies of specialized individuals in clinical, right. clinical studies. Right? No, just because they happen to have certain kinds of medical conditions doesn't mean they're excluded from an all-mortality study. Right. That's the problem here. So 
were this Harvard panel and other people uh, responding to media reports because they're afraid that the general population would start going out and eat, eating more and gaining weight because they think they would live longer. Oh, it happened. It happened. <laughs> all these uh, nutrition blogs like jumped on the study, saying, "Yeah, it's true. We eat all more butter and get a little fat." Right. right. You know, uh, see what happens from there. Okay, so that's interesting. So what we're looking at perhaps is not a beneficial effect of putting on extra weight, but that not having weight for confounding factors mm-hmm. that are not included in the study. Reduces your mortality. Right? I, I think the study yeah. shows nothing. Yeah. Except the, um, the power of epidemiology to really confuse people. Right. Done yeah. appropriately. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got some time for some quick uh, facts and furious. Yes. Oh, that's going to have to be one way because I didn't look up any facts. Oh, I got plenty. Okay. I got plenty. Let me just find my questions for you. And we put our theme music here, right? Well, insert theme music <laughs> in three, two, one, here. Do we have theme music for Rigorous or Ridiculous? Um, I get our theme music confused all the time. Yeah. We have like three or four segments. Yeah. Uh, we can just put random yeah, pieces exactly. of music in there. No one notices these things. Yeah. All right. Let's start you off uh, easy. Okay. Uh, what's the hardest substance in the human body? The hardest substance in the human body, I'm going to say, are, are teeth. That is correct. But what, what part of the teeth? The enamel? The enamel. That yeah. is correct. Okay. It doesn't grow back, you know. No. Yeah. As I discovered, much to my chagrin, when I was addicted to grapefruit for a while. Oh, it ate away. Or oh, no. yeah, I love grapefruit. Right. And I read in some men's health magazine that mm. the smartest thing a man can do for his health is to eat a grapefruit a day. Like, sure, I'm all about that. High fiber, and you know. Uh, and then and the suddenly, smartest thing a toothless man. And then suddenly, with my teeth. Abs. Yeah, my dentist says, "You're screwed. Thanks, thanks a lot." <laughs> you just have to get your body looking so good that no one looks at your, your teeth. <laughs> we should invent a way to eat grapefruit without involving your teeth. Like a straw that sucks actual grapefruit. Right. Grapefruit than... juice. Yeah. yeah, the juice is boring. <laughs> yeah, well. What about uh, you could eat grapefruit with a mouth guard? Is there any way to restore enamel? No. No, you can't just paint uh, it back. I've got well, a bathtub enamel I can paint on my <laughs> Based upon my rigorous reading that I did when mine started decaying, right. apparently not. Okay. But maybe they've got some new techniques. That's good to know. Anything else besides grapefruit that I should I think use? citrusy things in general. Oh. I think if you gargle with vinegar, you're probably in trouble. Okay. Oops. Well, there goes my vinegar habit. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking mm. of vinegar habit and gargling, uh, what did ancient Romans use as mouthwash? The, actually, a very good vinegar is the uh, Chinese black vinegar. It's delicious. Anyway. <laughs> is it picked by monkeys? <laughs> no, it's not picked by monkeys. Uh, what did the Romans use as vinegar? Mouthwash. As mouthwash. Uh, Romans use as mouthwash. So it has to be something naturally occurring, I guess. Probably some sort of... Uh, I'm just going to say something weird, like pine sap. I don't know. What? Uh, oh, if only it were pine sap. <laughs> I wish it were pine sap. It is not pine sap. Uh-oh. I'll give you another guess. <laughs> it's something gross, it sounds like. It is like. something gross. <laughs> and they used to purchase it from the Portuguese for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why it was preferred to be it's Portuguese. It's the urine of some animal, is it? It is the urine of some animal. And uh, that animal is Portuguese people. <laughs> oh, no. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what? why the Portuguese urine is, is better than Roman urine. That's so weird. Yeah. That's marketing for you. I wonder who came up with well, that. Well, it works apparently. Portuguese pee. Yeah. Why does it work? Well, because the ammonia in the urine is mm. a cleaner. Yeah. Okay. And it's mostly, I mean, it isn't really sterile. That's a myth. But it's more sterile than other bodily fluids. Yeah. Is so, it you kiss someone, you taste like a toilet. It's, that's not good. Well, Romans. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on the same topic, I suppose, uh, what has killed more people, snakes, bees, sharks, or houseflies? Okay. I know it's not sharks, 
Snakes, but I doubt it's bees. Or the people are allergic to bees, though. Snakes, problem. I'm gonna. And houseflies, how do they kill people by spreading? Does it. Houseflies as a disease vector count? That is correct. Okay, then houseflies. Yeah, there it yeah. is. It's an obvious answer, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the. the the allergic response I never thought of, but really, how many people are really allergic to bees yeah. and how many get bitten by bees? Probably right. none. Um, I was thinking initially direct responsibility for death. Like, right. But uh, I could see flies spread disease and that would do it. So uh, speaking of bees, some guy did a study. And uh, it was Bee a problematic study mm. that will horrify you a bit. So he decided to determine where is it most painful to be stung by ah. a bee. Using himself as a subject? Using himself. In okay. fact, it is a glorious study that I will link to on the website. Uh, deadpan uh, language he uh-huh. He goes through the ethics of it, saying... As is he British? I think he's American. Oh, okay. But, you know, going through the um, the Declaration of Helsinki, which determines the basis for medical ethics. Right. Uh, I, I can experiment on myself. I don't need ethical clearance for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uses the Schmidt pain scale, which is okay. the scale for measuring how painful things are. It's really painful. Oh, Schmidt! <laughs> <laughs> and he has bees bite him at several points of his body several times for uh-huh. reproducibility. Right. And determines three areas uh-huh. are the most painful. Can you guess which parts of his body are the most painful to be bitten? And he all parts of the body he was using? All parts of the body. Including the groin area? Because I would go area. there as a painful area. Yeah, the groin area. Which, yeah. which particular part of the groin area do you think? I'll preface this by saying he got the idea for the study by um, one day a bee crawled into his shorts and ah. bit him on the testicle. Ah. That, oh, that hurt. that hurt. I wonder what else hurts. Oh, yeah. This is a true scientist. Or, wow. or a true psychopath. Yeah. Uh, what area? Uh, I would say the shaft of the penis. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. That's, the, that's the number three most painful place. Number three? Yeah. Oh. So, uh, so move away from the groin move area. Move away now. from the groin area now. Um, Move to the head area. Yeah, I'm thinking of areas where there are a lot of nerves would would be uh, something, I don't know, maybe in the ear, maybe, no, no. lips. The lip is the number two area, the upper lip. Now i got to get number one. I'm doing a reverse order here just for suspense. Uh, I'm impressed by the (laughs) The number one. It's on the head still. It's on the head still. Okay, thanks for the clue. I'll say uh, scalp. No. Oh, what is Another it? Another guess, though. Think about eyelid. Think about in in your regular grooming regime. What what's the most painful things that you engage in? Probably not today. Now we have electric groomers. Right. If you have a tweezer. Oh, in your nose? Nostril. Nostril. Outside yeah. or inside? I'm assuming it's it's inside. Inside. Bit. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the numbers yeah, here are painful. the nostril gives you a nine on the pain scale, upper lip an eight point seven, and the penis shaft a seven point three. Hmm. What was nine? Right. Okay. I think no, the, the Schmidt scale goes to 10. Wow. Yeah. Do you have the, I would like to see how they, the descriptive uh, the descriptors <laughs> for the different levels. <laughs> like Nostril is fuck. <laughs> Upper lip is damn. No, I mean the Schmidt level. Like what, oh. what is a 10 in terms of giving childbirth or something? I Pulling mean, your top lip over your Your uh, philtrum. There must be a lot of nerves in there because you can actually stop someone from walking forward just by holding your finger there. It's yeah. so painful. When I was, um, in my travels, you know, one of my hobbies was... Oh, and ring. they put a bull ring right. through the nose because that's a very sensitive spot. So, you know, one of my hobbies is martial arts, right? Uh-huh. And um, when I was traveling in India, I went to observe a demonstration of Kari Payat, an mm. obscure South Indian martial art. Uh-huh. And there is the ancient Guru Kal, they call him the, the master. He's in his late 70s mm. and he meets me there and um, he decides to do a demonstration mm. on me. And uh, they're famous for their nerve suppression techniques. Okay. And one of the things he did to me was to grab me by the philtrum. Right. 
by the top uh, of my lip and says, if I, if you resist me in any way, mm-hmm. I, I can render you unconscious just by squeezing the spot. Wow. Now, I don't know if I believe him. You should have resisted. Um, but I didn't, you know, part of me, I didn't, I didn't want to embarrass him. Right, That's right. not the right word. I yeah. wanted to play along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the idea of yeah. this. So I yeah. went along with it. Right. I'm not going to resist you. Yeah. But I am today still curious whether or not he could have actually done right. that. Right, yeah. Huh. That's that's interesting. Yeah, it's curious. I once took a class in Israeli martial art. Is it Krav Maga? Krav Maga. Krav Maga. Uh, with this guy who was formerly with Mossad, he said, but now he's a, a professor of accounting at the business school, the Robin Business School. I won't mention his name. And I had said something that kind of insulted him before the class, uh, unintentionally. And then he invited me to his class. And I went and, and uh, he demonstrated on me how to pull, pull a punch, but he didn't pull it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up having a bloody lip and I bled. And he lent me his gi or, or a gi to wear. And he got upset because I got blood on the gi. <laughs> and this is why you look the way you do. That's right. Well, that takes us to half an hour, my friend. That was my last crop. <laughs> so uh, until next time, this is Monkey Ray. And Monkey Graham. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.